0: This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College. Join them for 2 weeks digging up dinosaur bones from the Jurassic period in Northwest Colorado this summer. For details, go to cncc.edu/dinodig. Hello and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett.
1: And I'm Sabrina.
0: And today we have a lot of news to talk about, as well as our dinosaur of the day, Dysolotosaurus. So first in the news, I just want to correct or maybe clarify some of the things we talked about in earlier episodes about Brontosaurus slash Potosaurus. So looking deeper into it, specifically looking at the peer review journal, Article by Emmanuel Schopp called A Specimen Level Phylogenetic Analysis and Taxonomic Revision of Diplodicae. So, really, the whole purpose of this article was to look at all the Diplodicae species and genera and more generally talk about how they were related to one another and possibly refine some of the details. We've talked about taxonomy before on the podcast. When we first created InoDino, I had this dream of having a web and it would have all of the dinosaurs that were currently known to exist and all of their detailed taxonomy. So you could see how anything was related, how closely and everything. But the more I've looked into it, the more blurry you see the relationships. One scientist will say that two things are very closely related. Others will say that they're in totally different genera or totally different clads. And it really varies a lot and it's constantly evolving. So this Brontosaurus story is really just one of thousands of these stories that you could find. And the only reason that it made a ton of news was because Brontosaurus is such a well-known name. So going back to the article, Brontosaurus was never... Completely excluded from existence in popular culture. It's believed that Brontosaurus was created by taking an apatosaurus and putting a camarasaurus skull on it, and we might have even said that on this podcast. And there is one case where that was done. The Yale Peabody Museum, for a time, had an apatosaurus with the wrong skull on it from the 1930s through the 1970s, and that specimen is actually the type specimen brontosaurus excelsus as it's known according to this article what happened was when marsh originally published brontosaurus it was later reviewed and decided not to be unique enough to be its own genera so rather than being called brontosaurus excelsus the species was renamed Apatosaurus excelsus but what we know of as brontosaurus is still a completely different species than A Apatosaurus is Apatosaurus Ajax, which is a different species than Apatosaurus excelsus, and according to this article, a totally different genera than Brontosaurus excelsus. So it's really just a question of whether or not one specimen of the Diplodacae family was different enough to be considered its own genera or its own species. So... I hope that clears things up. The funniest thing about the Brontosaurus being renamed is that the Yale Peabody Museum, which is where Marsh worked when he discovered Apatosaurus and Brontosaurus, had labeled the Brontosaurus Excelsius as Brontosaurus for the entire period from when it was discovered and mounted until 2003, when they finally decided to rename it Apatosaurus. And I think it's hilarious that They waited that long (laughs) just to finally have it decided to be its own genera, and now they probably are going to have to change it back to Brontosaurus again. Next in the news is a dinosaur activity that you can do with your kids. It's called the Wonder of Dinosaurs, (laughs) subtitle Prepare to be Amazed. (laughs) And it's at the Laguna Hills Mall in Southern California. It looks pretty cool. It's there permanently, and it's geared towards ages 2 through 12. Next in the news, there's a 5-year-old who discovered a dinosaur fossil in Mansfield, Texas. And it was near a parking lot of a grocery store. And it's a Jurassic-era fossil, which the researchers at SMU that's investigating the fossil believe might be a notosaur which would put it in the Jurassic era, about 100 million years old. So the fossil was actually originally found back in September, but it took them over seven months to get a permit to dig up the bones, and then they had to wrap it all up in plaster, and they just finished getting it out of the ground. So they haven't had a chance to really thoroughly investigate the fossil yet. Next to the news is a recent investigation into a teenage Dysplitosaurus which is in the Tyrannosaur family. And looking in detail at the skull of this specimen, it looks like it had some pretty rough teenaged years. (laughs) So what they found was that the skull had signs of teeth marks on it, and they appeared to be from a similar Tyrannosaur species. They found several bite marks on its head, but the way that it began to heal showed that They weren't fatal marks. It's a little rough, though. You've got another animal in your species chewing on your head. (laughs) That's quite a rivalry. The scientists cautioned that it's not possible to specifically match the bite marks to another Dyspletosaurus, so they can't be positive that it was within the same species. It could have just been another Tyrannosaur. There's always a little bit of uncertainty. If you're listening to this from Canada, you may have been to British Columbia's Peace Region, and a paleontology expert named Rich McRae says that there are hundreds of dinosaur footprints there near Williston Lake, and he'd like to turn it into a tourist attraction. So uh, apparently there are about a 1,000 square meters that are full of dinosaur footprints and trackways. And they'd like to build a structure over it to help conserve the site and to help shelter people when they come there and look at it. There's something, something similar at Dinosaur National Monument in Utah where they've excavated the side of a hill where there are dinosaur fossils sticking out of it, and they kind of built a structure with three walls and a roof so that you're inside sort of when you're looking at it. And it, it does make a pretty neat spot. The tracks were originally discovered back in the 1970s, but other ones in the area were found all the way back in the 1920s. So they've been known for quite a while. It would be neat if they turned it into more of an attraction, though. Another update from a previous episode when we were talking about what scientists were calling the Romeo and Juliet oviraptor fossils. I don't know if we specifically said at the time, but there's a couple ways to tell a male dinosaur from a female dinosaur. And in that case, they're suspecting that much like birds, the male dinosaurs may have been the ones that were more colorful and flamboyant to attract a mate. And part of the reason they think that they have this difference is they found that one of these two has indications on its vertebrae near the base of its tail that it would have stronger tendons attached there than the other specimen would have. They think that that might mean that The dinosaur with the stronger tendons may have had more tail feathers, which would be used to attract a mate. That's the kind of thing that you see on modern birds. So based on that, they're inferring that these two dinosaurs may have been a mating pair. But again, that's pretty speculative. It's kind of hard to say exactly, but it is interesting. There's another large outdoor animatronic dinosaur exhibit coming to a zoo, It seems to be a very popular thing these days. And this time it's going to the Detroit Zoo, and it'll be there May 22nd through Labor Day. It was last featured at that zoo back in 2011. It'll be open from 9.30 a.m. to 5 p.m., and there will be 40 life-sized animatronic dinosaurs throughout that area. The zoo is also going to have a couple of those interactive movies where you sit in the chairs and they interact with you a little bit. So that could be kind of neat too. Another interesting, interactive, kid-themed dinosaur exhibit that's traveling around the western U.S. is called Dinosaur Quest. And I saw this advertised for a event that they were putting on, I think, in Kansas. But right now they're going through a lot of the cities in the U.S. where there are already a lot of good dinosaur finds. So they're going to be in North Dakota for the rest of April, and then they're going to be in Montana and South Dakota and Wyoming in May. So if you're in one of those areas, it could be worth checking out. It looks like they have a little animated dinosaur puppet, like a little apotosaurus and a little triceratops that look really cute. So that might be worth seeing, especially if you have a kid. There's also a new board game that was recently released called Evolution, and you play it by getting a species and then you evolve it into having different traits. I guess there are 129 trait cards. The gameplay involves getting these new traits and adding to your species so that you can survive and compete during these feeding stages in the game, which sounds kind of fun. It's supposed to be good for up to six players and takes about an hour. And that's all for this week's news.
1: This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College, where you can become a part of the scientific process. As a participant, you can go on a real life dinosaur dig and you'll be helping to advance science and our understanding of the ancient world. What's really cool is that the fossilized bones that are being excavated, they're public and they're gonna be displayed and preserved for future generations to study and admire.
0: You can go from July 6th to July 20th, or from July 22nd to August
1: 5th. Head over to cncc.edu slash dino you'll get all of the details. Just make sure that you register online by May 31st. And again, that is cncc.edu slash D-I-N-O-D-I-G. Our dinosaur of the day is Dysolotosaurus latau vorbecki which was a suggestion from our Twitter follower, Samuel, at Biz the Answer. Dysolotosaurus means uncatchable lizard, and it was a dryosaurid iguanodontian, an herbivore, that lived in the late Jurassic. Dysolotosaurus fossils have been found in the Tendaguru Formation in Tanzania, and the Berlin Museum of Natural History discovered and excavated Dysolotosaurus fossils when it was still German East Africa. Rudolf... Virco named Dissilitosaurus in nineteen nineteen and all of the Disilithosaurus fossils were found in one quarry. Between nineteen ten and nineteen thirteen they found fourteen thousand bones, and in the area they discovered other dinosaurs including sauropods such as Giraffatitan and dicreosaurus, the stegosaur kentrosaurus and the theropod alaphrosaurus. Disilithosaurus has An interesting story behind its species name, the name lettow Vorbecky, It came from a German national hero, General paul Emil von lettow Vorbeck. He fought in World War I in East Africa, and he was known for his guerrilla warfare tactics. He commanded 3,000 German troops and 14,000 African soldiers. They were local soldiers known as Askaris. And at that time, African soldiers were often discriminated against. But Letao Vorbeck treated all his soldiers equally, and he was fluent in Swahili, and according to one historian, quote, It is probably that no white commander of the era had so keen an appreciation of the African's worth not only as a fighting man, but as a man. So Letao Vorbeck was never defeated, but he did surrender after he heard about the armistice in November 1918, and his German soldiers were repatriated, but... The Askaris were put into camps, so he worked really hard to make sure that they were treated decently. When he got back to Germany, he came back a hero, and he actually opposed the Nazis. Hitler offered him a position in 1935, and he declined. And during the Nazi regime, he was often harassed, but the reason he survived is because he was so popular as a World War I German hero. Unfortunately, many Dysalytosaurus fossils were destroyed in World War II during bombing raids, so some of the best-known records of it are now via drawings instead of the skeletons. Of the fossils that survived, only one still has about 50% of its skeleton. Interestingly, Dysalytosaurus used to be considered a part of the genus Dryosaurus, but now it's in its own genus, Dysalytosaurus, and it was medium-sized and ran on two legs. And it was precocial, meaning it was born in an advanced state, and it could take care of itself at a young age, and it became mature after only 10 years, then it could start to mate. It's unclear how quickly it grew, but it could probably reach the size of a large kangaroo. And in 2011, there were two paleontologists, Florian Weitzman, who we tried to contact but unfortunately could not get a hold of, and Oliver Homp and their colleagues, they found that some of the Dysylatosaurus bones deformations were probably caused by a viral infection, which makes it the oldest evidence of viral infection known to science. So this infection is similar to Paget's disease of bone, which has abnormal bone destruction and regrowth. Scientists have found thousands of Dysylatosaurus bones at varying stages of maturity, possibly coming from one herd. And both these juvenile and adult fossils allow scientists to study their brain at different growth stages, which is what Dr. Stefan Lautenschlager and Dr. Tom Hubner did. The smallest Dysolotosaurus specimen was about 2 feet long and the largest was about 15 feet long. So what they did was they used CT scanning and 3D imaging to reconstruct the brain and inner ear of a 3-year-old and a 12-year-old Dysolotosaurus and they published their findings in the Journal of Evolutionary Biology. They learned that juveniles had strong hearing and cognitive processes, but a lot changed as they grew older, presumably to help them adapt to their environment. The younger Dysyllisotaurus had shorter snout and larger eye sockets, so it was probably cuter. And I think we've mentioned that before, baby dinosaurs were cute the same way human babies are cute, with the larger eyes and the, some more pronounced features. The younger Dysalytosaurus also only had 20 teeth versus the adult had 26 teeth. And the adult had teeth that was wider, whereas the juvenile had three upper teeth that were slimmer than the rest, which may mean that the juveniles were omnivores and the adults may have been only herbivores. So although their study helped show how parts of the brain developed in dinosaurs, more research is needed to establish a pattern of brain development. Thysolithosaurus was part of the Dryosaurid family, so it was in its own genus, but the larger group is the Dryosaurid family. And the Dryasaurids lived during the mid-Jurassic and early Cretaceous period in Africa, Europe, and North America. These were primitive iguanodonts, and they were medium-sized. They had long legs, small forelimbs, and small short snouts. And they also had soft tissue above their eyes, which made them look like they were frowning, and you can see this in some modern birds of prey. They were bipedal, with three toes on each foot, but if you were to compare it to a human foot, they would only represent your second, third, and fourth toe. They were missing the first toe, which is called the hallux. They looked somewhat similar to ornithopods, such as hypsilophidon. So they used to be considered hypsilophodonts, but now they're classified as part of the Iguanodontia group, which is not close to Hypsilophodon. The Dryasaurids did not have premaxillary teeth, which means that they only used their beaks to bite off plants. And the first Dryasaurids were found in the 1870s in North America, and then later more were found in Africa in the early 1900s, and then in Europe in the 1970s. The Dryasaurid fossils were actually found earlier in Europe, but had been misclassified.
0: In our fun fact of the day, the first dinosaur was discovered in North America in 1854, by Ferdinand Vandevere Hayden while he was exploring the Upper Missouri River. He found some teeth that Joseph Lady classified as part of Trachodon, Trudon, and Dinodon back in 1856.
1: And that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. If you like what you've heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. Until next time.